This guest speaker is somebody who I have watched from afar for a number of years. You don't even know this, but I've been stalking you, Rory, um, from a distance. Anytime at conferences, I'm watching who you and what, how you, and it's just because I have this great respect for you and for your years in ministry and, and what you've accomplished. Um, so this is Rory. The thing is, though, Rory, you may know about this because it's your name, but I searched for this picture on the internet, and this is what actually came up. Will you put that up there? Would you put that next slide up for me back there, slide guys? What in the world is this? It's spelled wrong? Is that what it is? Oh, so I put that in and this is what I got. And this is the quote from Rory is, I'm the perfect man. So, I don't know, for whatever it is, she's the perfect man for you. That's you and that's me, yeah. So this is... Pastor Rory from Ephrata Foursquare Church, and he's going to bring a word for us this morning, which I think is timely and important for our church. So I hope you'll give him your full attention and listen to what the Lord has to say. Rory, would you come and speak? Did I turn it on? Did I do it? Yes. This is officially the largest screen I've ever spoken in front of. This This is now it. I, uh, <clears throat> how did you do that? Can I get this to go up higher? Yes. There we go. It used to be a little bit taller because that's what the perfect man needs. <laughs> this is, um, this is just so fun to be here. I, uh, it's been a long time since we've been here, and uh, um, I've always appreciated this church and uh, enjoy being with you. Um, <clears throat> we, we uh, yeah, we have been in Afreda for 23 years. We live pretty uh, basic lives. Uh, we have six children. Um, just, just for fun, how many of you know any of my children? A couple, yeah. Yeah, it's great when you walk in and somebody goes, I know your kids, but I, I've never heard of you. <laughs> we get that way all the time. Five of our kids are are uh, <clears throat> in full-time ministry, and uh, uh, several of them in this district, one in Oregon and all that. And so, you know, people kind of know children and blame us. they blame us for it. I'd like to take you to Acts chapter 15 this morning, if I could. And uh, you can find it, and uh, <clears throat> at some point we'll actually get there. But you can have it ready for you. <clears throat> um, do we have a... Yeah. I want to talk about fighting over the Bible. Um, the, the Bible is being hammered more than ever these days by militant atheists. But <clears throat> that's not what I'm going to talk about today. That's not what I'm referring to at all with with the title of this message. That's a topic for another day. But today, I really want to give you my heart and really talk to you from my heart and from experience and from observation and from living life in America about how we interact with those who are family in Jesus. Okay, And I want to talk about how we be the church in some ways and how we interact and how we do life together and how we 
treat each other, etc., etc., etc. So uh, I just want to jump in. Can we jump in? All right. Number one, I want to talk about choosing the rock or the hard place. Okay, you know that you know that you know that term. Choose you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's that place where where you have two very difficult choices, two very difficult things, and you're stuck right in the middle of it all. And 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 you're trying to figure out what it is. When it comes to the church, when it comes to to being the church, some of those rocks and hard places are <clears throat> Reformed theology. Uh, predestination versus free will. Once saved, always saved. Cessationism, those that would say the gifts of the Spirit are not for the church today. Those who would say, well, yes, they are. Um, Those kinds of things. And the general scenario is when those things happen is that that two people are, are, are talking about these things and essentially what you end up doing is is trading verses. Yeah, but the Bible says. Yeah, 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 but the Bible says. No, 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 the Bible says. Oh, but the Bible says. And you just kind of kind of keep going that way and things kind of happen and whatever. Um I I I somebody will say to me, Well, Ephesians chapter one, verse four says that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. But John chapter 3 and verse 16 says God loves the world so much that he gave it against them. That who, who, whoever believes in him will not perish. But the Bible says. But the Bible says. And, and I remember as a young Christian, summer before my senior year in high school, I got saved. And then that, that year, there was this group that met. And I remember it was a, a Christian group. And I thought, this is going to be really cool, other Christians, whatever. And they ended up fighting over predestination. And I couldn't figure out why as a young believer. Well, as time went on, I realized that's what the church does. So I, wanted, I just want to tell you up front what I believe, what I've come to believe, and what I'm convinced of. <clears throat> I'm going to move this up because then that light isn't in my face. Um, I believe that when there are two conflicting views in the Bible, when, when two things seem to contradict each other in the Bible, they have to both be true. Okay? Because this is the Word of God. This is the Bible. This is the inspired Word of God. And so somehow they have to both be, God has chosen me. But I've chosen God. And and both are true. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, it's a good thing God chose me before I was born. If he'd have waited till after, he'd have changed his mind. I love that. So both things are true. How can that be? Let me just lay it out for you. I have no idea. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know, but they have to both be true. How, how are we doing? <laughs> because if you're like me, that makes you crazy. Because I'm an absolutist. I need an explanation for everything. I don't like loose ends. I don't like that, and I don't want that. But, but the truth of the matter is, it's it's true. Let me give you a little takeaway, okay? 
the Bible just isn't as easy and as absolute and as black and white as we want it to be. It just isn't. Now, now, put your stones away, okay? Because this is the inspired, infallible Word of God, okay? That's what you're hearing from me. But the truth of the matter is, it just isn't as absolute. And years ago, a friend asked me, you know, well, do you just take the Bible literally? And I said, well, yeah, of course I do, but I don't. You know, otherwise, what are you going to do with Revelation? (laughs) What are you going to do with these flying things and these winged things and these, you know, whatever? Because I don't know what that is. But whether I like it or not, there are times when biblical content is, is nuanced, when, when there are subtleties and variations and, and degrees, and, and you don't have all the information that you need in that one verse to understand both sides of an issue. I think one of the important things for a believer, new believer, seasoned believer, is that you understand proof texting. Okay, we have a, we have a, I mean, you, you understand this where you live. Uh, we have, um, serving on our church council, we have a guy who is a genuine A number one cowboy. I mean, he is a ranching, he's the real deal. And he has a son who's even more cowboy than he is. And he's just the greatest guy. And just recently they've asked us, uh, they asked me, you know, we'd like you to talk to Josh and, and we'd like to consider him to be in our church council, young guy. So I went and I had lunch with him and stuff. And he was talking about, it, it just makes me so mad. You know, he said when, when people just take one verse and they try to build everything off of it, and here's the term he used, they do all this scripture plucking. And I was like, all right, that's it. That is God going into the theology books. Scripture plucking is what it is. <clears throat> it's choosing a particular verse to make your point, but you have to consider what's north and south of that verse. You've got to take the whole thing and figure it out, and you have to consider the whole of Scripture. The Bible doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so you and I need to have to have a way to deal with passages that can have two viewpoints. How do you differentiate between that which is really essential from that which is merely controversial. Here's how I decide. And I'm very much indebted to Dr. Gary Brashears for this. Four things that I use to decide the importance of the things that I believe. Number one, is it a die for? Is it a die for? Those are the essentials. Those are the, the, the fundamentals of your faith. They are non-negotiable, okay? What are they? The inspiration and authority of the Scripture. The Trinity, okay? I, I was just kind of looking at some stuff. and went to YouTube and, and because that's where I get all of my good information. <clears throat> and, and you look up, you know, and there are, there are videos that, that say so-and-so explains the Trinity, Okay? They're lying to you. How do you understand the Trinity? I don't know. Okay? I don't get it. But I don't have to get it. Because I trust 
this book completely. Somehow God is three and he is one. Now you just go and figure that out. The incarnation. Jesus became flesh. He became person. He became human. His virgin birth. His sinless life. His bodily resurrection. Okay, let's get theological. Justification by grace through faith alone. Uh, the indwelling of God's Spirit. Those are just a few, but I think we understand the concept. You can't call yourself Christian and not hold to these truths. They, they are, they are completely die force. Okay? They are the foundation of our faith. Okay? So, so that's kind of a settled issue. But the second thing is divide force. Divide for. These are, in fact, issues that we will divide over. And yet, we can maintain that we're still brothers and sisters. Are you there? Does that make sense? That, that we aren't able to maintain strong, regular fellowship. They're legitimate concerns as long as the overall unity of the body is still affirmed in that. Without being negative in any way, these are the kinds of things that tend to create denominations. Okay, Now, some of you in this room are, are as old as me. Or as old as dirt. And, and you can remember coming out of the Jesus movement, coming through the Jesus movement, and getting to that place where, where you knew everything there was to know about the kingdom of God and Jesus. And the big cry during that time was, no denominations. We're all the body. We all need to get together in one huge room and have church. And we need to love and be together. And I, and, I, and I realized after walking with the Lord for a while, no, we don't. We don't need to do that. Because denominations aren't evil. God doesn't hate denominations. God hates denominationalism. He hates that thing that says, well, we got, we got it all figured out. We're the ones. We're the right ones. You're second class. You're whatever it is. And, and, and there are reasons and there are things that happen and people choose to be a part of a certain group. But, but we're still realizing it, it's okay. The, it becomes problematic when the dividing walls are so high that there's little contact between groups. And, 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 or, or when the arguments over these issues drain significant energy from our worship of God. Or, or it hinders the proclamation of the gospel itself. And in the last few years, we've seen this emerging neo-fundamentalism come to light, which seeks to define issues much more narrowly and, and whose focus is more on what we deny than what we affirm. But it's also true that in recent years, the church has managed to actually reduce the number of issues in this category, I think. People are looking for unifying points, for a, a work of the Spirit that strengthens relationship rather than weakens it. 
get more specific in a minute. A third thing are debate for. Debate for. Those are issues that we wrestle usually with inside of a church or a denomination or a group. It takes place in an atmosphere of genuine fellowship. We maintain worship. We maintain community. And, and, and the elements of this list can get kind of lengthy as a result of cultural, traditional things that happen. And the goal is to keep debate force from escalating into divide force. Mature believers will keep the unity of the body at the center of their thinking. If you just jot down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, we're told to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Please uh, understand something here. When you try to control divisive people with calming words, you actually empower them. And divisive people will continue their wranglings until they're called to responsibility by the wisdom of the group. And you, you, you will, you'll see it in action when we actually show up in Acts chapter 15. Things that, that we debate for, okay, and we, we do it. I tell people that I have the best church council in the world. <clears throat> and we've been together a long time. I, I don't want to get your pastor in trouble, but the, the, the bylaws of the of Foursquare movement say that a church council member is supposed to be X number of years serving, and then they move off for a while. And, and I think they're even supposed to be voted on. <clears throat> we don't do that. If you repeat this, I'll deny it, all right? When I get guys that we are so in unity with, I'm sorry, I'm keeping them, you know, and, and we're going to hang around. And so, and so we get in our meetings, and I can tell you that, that we have never, ever left a meeting not in unity because we've chosen that. And we'll mix it up. Well, I don't think so. Well, you know, and we got to this, and we got to do a whole thing. But we've always decided we will never move ahead until we're actually in unity, okay? We, we, don't, we won't accept a, a one no vote. We'll wait on it. It's that important. The fourth thing is a decide for. You, you can see the elements of decide for in, in Romans 14 and 15. Those are areas of belief and behavior for which there is no law. It's where acceptance is a virtue and legalism is a real danger. And Paul tells us to stop judging each other over these issues. So how do you decide where you stand on an issue? And then how do you decide what you're going to do about it? How do you decide what, what side of the spectrum you're on? It happens all the time. Well, the Bible says... God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. And my cliche is all I need to live by. That doesn't work. How do you decide? I want to read to you from Judges chapter 21. Judges chapter 21, verse 21. 
When you see the young women of Shiloh come out for their dances, rush out from the vineyards, and each of you can take one of them home to the land of Benjamin to be your wife. And all the single guys wish you read the Bible more now, huh? Go, that's it? That's all there is to it? I just, I just rush out, you grab one, and it's, and we go all seven brides for seven brothers on this thing, you know? That's yeah, a little facetious, but it brings us back to the question. How do you know? Okay? Because I just want to tell you, young brothers, you don't get to do that. Okay? The response will not be good. And it's not, it's not something you want to do. So how do you decide? And basically the answer is it's not that hard, but it is work. It involves going deep into the word to make sure that you know and understand both sides of your issue. But if we're honest, so many people look to the internet before they look to their Bible. I believe the internet has become one of the major players, if not the major player, in creating all sorts of fragmentation and dissension in the church today. Do I hate the internet? No, I don't hate the internet. I'm all over the internet. I'm on the internet. But, but the internet has, has helped to make this, this neo-Calvinism a thing now, giving rise to all kinds of theological flame wars, contributing to the, to, to the rendering obsolete of the local church. And, and in our, 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 our RSS follow whoever you want to world, we consume media and discourse and more often than not, it simply affirms our established position. In other words, I want to look up what I already believe to give me ammo. And it's easier than ever to identify ourselves in terms of the particular beliefs that set us apart rather than those that bind us together with the church of Jesus. So it's so important you begin with the word itself. Then you can look to some outside help. And it's so important. You don't just fly to those that are going to support the position that you already want to have. One of the healthiest and mature things you can do is read books by those who disagree with you. I had to come to a conclusion. I cannot embrace Reformed theology. But I did it because I read those who do, in fact, embrace it. And I, and I just, okay, I made my decision. Again, the best thing is to read with this heart toward understanding both sides so you can gather, collate your information, prayerfully make your decision. And when you come to a conclusion, decide what you believe. Go ahead, make your choice. You get to. You are now able to own your choice with a clear conscience. Do you remember when Jesus asked some of his guys, who do people say that I am? What's, what's going on? Who do people say that I am? Well, some that say that you're John. Some say that you're this. Some say you're the prophet. Some say that you're that. Hmm. And then he goes, but let me ask you this. What does he ask them? Who do you say that I am? He wants them to own their answer. And here's, here's the, the mind blower. 
There are times when people cling to an issue and it becomes so personal and they defend it so strongly, but at some point you have to come to this understanding that God has no dog in your fight. That the kingdom of God transcends so much of the stuff that we hold dear. And it's so far down on the list of God's priorities. And hopefully you come to that place, you come to this maturity in your walk with Jesus, to the understanding that I want to talk about next. So you get to the rock in the hard place and you have to figure out how do I decide that? And you make a decision and you make it based on what is God saying to me? What do I know? What do I believe? What is it that, that, that I know to be true no matter what? But what was it that I know to be true and I have to decide? Well, then number two is choosing the better way. 1 Corinthians 12 is about spiritual gifts. And, and Paul gives this great explanation of what they're all about. And he talks about the importance of knowing and, 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 and understanding the gifts that God's Spirit has given to you. It's, it's an amazing thing that, that should have, be a greater priority in the church these days. And yet after he goes to these great lengths to describe and discuss and explain the gifts and their importance, then he writes this little sentence that can easily go unnoticed if we're not diligent to read it closely. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31, he says, he says all this stuff, and here's all the things you need to go, but he says, now I want to show you a more excellent way. I want to show you a more excellent way. Now, what comes after 1 Corinthians 12? <laughs> we're college students. First Corinthians 13. <laughs> and, and if you've been in the church for a while, you know First Corinthians 13, 13 is called the love chapter. It's Paul's directive to us to love each other sacrificially. What does that mean to me? It means that I love in spite of my particular divide for. See there? I will love you in spite of my own particular divide for. It means that I'm kind to people who disagree with me. Hello? I'm kind to people who disagree with me. That I choose to avoid awkwardness toward them. That I understand that we will be brothers and sisters in all of eternity. That we learn to be reasonable with each other because God himself is a reasonable God. Isaiah 118, God says it. Come on, come on. Let's what? Let's reason together. Let's reason together. Don't let your emotions do all the talking. Essentially, he says, listen, let's get coffee. Let's talk together like we used to in the garden. You understand that he's God and he doesn't really have to do that, right? He doesn't have to do that. He has chosen to do that. He, he loves and he cares for people so much that he says, let's be reasonable together. And you understand there's a difference between a disagreement and a personal falling out with someone. Now, a real life example, Acts 15, verse 36. Paul and, 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 Barnabas have been moving out and doing stuff and, and just like getting it on with the church and, and 
planting and missionarying and everything. And there's this thing that happens in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord. And let's see how they're doing. And now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The differences between these two giants of the faith were not rooted in pride or personal ambition or offended feelings. They were rooted in different spiritual gifts, a different outlook, a different calling. Aside from the loss of ongoing fellowship, the way that they had known in serving side by side, the outcome of their separation was very positive. Let's look at a few specifics, okay? First of all, Paul and Barnabas kept the issue on a personal level. They kept the issue on a personal level. These guys had a personal disagreement where they they dealt with personally, face-to-face. So far as we're told, they didn't involve any others in the disagreement. And, we, and, and, you know, we can be so prone to gather those who agree with us to our cause. That's not good. They didn't do that. They, They kept it right here. Just us. But then they didn't make the issue personal. They kept the issue on a personal level, but they didn't make the issue personal. They, they didn't let their disagreement alienate them as friends and as brothers. I don't want to minimize the intensity of the disagreement, but neither do I, I want to read into this incident, this personal falling out. It's a vastly different thing for, for, for two men to agree to dissolve a partnership in ministry than to have a friendship completely turn south. Developing into some kind of personal animosity. And I find absolutely no indication in the New Testament which would represent a loss of love or respect for each other. I don't see any signs of bitterness or alienation between these two. Third thing, they saw the matter through to a resolution. They walked it through to resolution. These two guys stuck to their convictions. Neither one was willing to change, but they did come to a solution. They came to an impasse. And the solution was a separation. The two will go their separate missions, but it's a solution. And the problem didn't compound. It didn't continue to grow. Sometimes people go separate ways, but when both act in a really healthy way, there's no sense of animosity toward each other. You know that can happen, right? Certainly current American culture has taught you that that could never happen. (laughs) But it can happen if you're part of the kingdom of God. The next thing, neither one of those guys appeared to have been acting out of self-interest or self-will. Neither one of them seemed to have been acting out of selfish, self-interest, self-will. Put differently, it doesn't seem like these guys were acting out of fleshly desires or inclinations. Humanly speaking, it would have been easier for either of the two to have given in to each other. 
or for both to have compromised. But for these two to, to, to go their own ways was a personal sacrifice. And, and, and it was required by their conviction and by their calling. I believe this. I believe this. Okay, here's what we'll do. I love you. Fifth thing, neither one tried to make this an issue in which one was right and the other was wrong. Neither one tried to turn it into a I'm right, you're wrong. Boy, isn't that, isn't that our default in our culture these days? I, I'm right, you got to be wrong. How often when two Christians differ, they tend to, get to, again, to gather up their collection of proof texts. And, and, and the one with the biggest list wins. And both Paul and Barnabas were right to do what they did. And, and, and they would have denied their convictions and their calling to do what the other felt compelled to do. And then both of them seem to be acting according to their own spiritual gifts and calling. They both are acting according to who they are, their giftedness, their calling, their mission. And, and who, except Barnabas, would we expect to come alongside Mark? That's what he did. Encourage him uh, and be used of God to, to minister to this, this young stumbling saint so, so he could stand and he could serve God. And who but Paul would we expect to come down hard on, on the failure to complete a mission? He had that personality. And then you know what? Both of them retained a heart of integrity in ministry. They both maintained a heart of integrity in ministry. Let me personalize it a little bit. Picture yourself in a situation similar to this where you have been at odds let me just ask you a question, okay? It's a little takeaway for you. As a result of your part in that situation, will the end be better than the beginning? As a result of your part in, a, in, in, in that kind of a situation, will the end be better because you were a part of it? I want to be that guy. I want to be able to walk away and say, I know that I had the mind of Christ in that situation. I had nothing to prove, nothing to gain. And then, what do we, H? <laughs> the Bible tells us they both acted in a way that was beneficial to them, to Mark, to each other, and to the Gospel. They both acted in a way that was beneficial to every, every part of the situation. Notice, the result of the separation was two missionary ventures, not just one. Others were involved in ministry, including Silas, Timothy, Luke. And, and the book of Mark was, to some degree, the result of Barnabas' action in his ministry. And, and the birth of, of a, a lot of new churches was the result of Paul's action, his ministry. And neither one of them, Neither Paul, neither, neither one or Barnabas later needed to repent of any wrongdoing regarding what happened with Mark. And Paul could say about Mark that he was now profitable to his own ministry. So there's a lot to learn from this incident. Okay? Well, let's take John Mark with us, says Barnabas. I know he backed out last time, but I see potential in him. We can't afford to bring someone we can't count on, insists Paul. Leave him here. Paul says, well, 
well, what can he do for God's work? Barnabas says, well, what can God's work do for him? So who was right? I go back to my original premise. They were both right. They were both right. When Paul was in prison waiting for his death, who is it that he said to send for to comfort him? John Mark, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. So I think the consoling ministry of Barnabas really paid off. But but who crisscrossed the known world with the gospel? Paul. They both paid off. I'll give you another takeaway. If an issue can be argued, it can also be uh, reasoned out. If an issue can be argued, it can also be reasoned out. Because way more often than not, okay, this is going to be very profound, the issue is not the issue. More often than not, the issue just isn't the issue. The issue is the way in which you comport yourself, the choice you make to love, to, to simply converse, have a conversation with somebody, to actually be able to sit down and listen and talk and, and share ideas and share thoughts. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's the call. Being right is not the call. I love what Philip Yancey said. No one ever gave their life to Jesus because they lost the argument. Number three, let me give you an exhortation. I'm exhorting you. I'm, I'm, I'm charging you. I'm pleading with you. Because it's only becoming more and more necessary as we, as we approach the coming of Jesus. First of all, never use the Scriptures as a weapon. Never use the Word of God as a weapon. I think it's pretty self-explanatory especially when it comes to those who have yet to believe the amazing good news of the gospel. And when it comes to those who are in the family of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Never use the Scriptures as a weapon. Second of all, it is always and ever about Jesus. Jesus is what I call my one-note guitar. Jesus. What's your question? The answer is Jesus. Somehow, we'll get around to the answer being Jesus. John 5.39, he said, you, you search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. Let's, let's give up our unhealthy need to be right. Just give it over. Let's give up our unhealthy desire for argument and debate. Third thing, the number one purpose of the Bible is that you would know and love Jesus. This is not your debate manual. 
This is written that you may have life in that more abundantly. John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written, you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. 1 John 3.11. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. I have come to be convinced of something. We've talked about the nature of issues that have two sides, about the ambiguity of the Bible at times. Here's the thing. I firmly believe that those ambiguities are in the Bible by God's design. I think he did it on purpose. You clever God, you. Wait a minute. You're saying I am. So that when push comes to shove over these issues, that we would choose love over personal preference. I believe he did it on purpose. Well, you could do this. You can do this way. You can go this way. You can go, okay, now what are you going to do? Well, we're going to have a fist fight. No, I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose the way of Jesus. I'm going to choose to love people. And finally, more than anything else, we must stop allowing divisions to derail us from our assignment. We must stop division from allowing us to, to, from allowing us from our assignment to derail us. If you call yourself a Christian, you have an assignment from Jesus himself. It's just already there. Okay? You should have this underlined, circled, arrows pointing to it, colors all over Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Okay? He's he's leaving the earth. Okay? He's, He's going away. And it's the last thing that he said. Okay? It's essentially, okay, I've taught you a lot of stuff, but here's the clincher. It's not an order to go convert people to something. It's it's not a mandate to get them to join your club and your way of thinking. In verse 18, he said, All authority has been given to me. And then he says, Therefore, you go. And he's given you and me the power and the authority to develop ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus. There's only one way it'll ever become a part of your spiritual DNA. That's when your heart for the least and the last and the lost overrides your issues. When you see people as sheep without a shepherd and you stop bragging about how you actually have a shepherd and they don't. When you look at people who are very possibly possessed by the devil himself And your first thought is, how in the world can I bring some relief and some healing to their soul? When you look beyond the bravado, when you look beyond that false self-confidence that people have, and you see the face of someone who's out of hope, no resource other than what you have readily available to offer to them. I don't, I don't know if you know or have heard the name Kristen Nicole Davis. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody. About six weeks ago, 
She's a 12-year-old girl. Has a stepdad. Stepdad is, is beating her. Constantly verbally abusing her. Uh, sexually abusing her. And she finally just came to the end of herself. And <clears throat> she went out into her backyard and she hung herself and she streamed it live on the internet. I don't know about you. I just have, I just don't have the time or the energy to debate non-essentials with people anymore. There are 12-year-old girls completely without hope. Lost in a world they don't even have a clue how to navigate. And I've asked God to help me to start proactively asking Him how to lead me to those who have have a lost eternity without Him. We got to get this figured out. All the time and the energy trying to prove my case. There's children going into eternity. Jesus said, All authority has been given me. You go, therefore, and make disciples. And then all of a sudden in Acts, the Holy Spirit falls upon people. And they have power. We have everything that we need. Peter tells us, God has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. What will I do with what I have? Go looking for a fight. No, 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 no. Just go looking for the one. Just look for the for the one. Look for the hopeless one. Look for the one that that just needs someone to touch them and give them some cold water in the name of Jesus. You will not be bored. Okay? If you will set that as your heart, I promise you, you'll never be bored again. You make a decision to make disciples. You will never be bored. Your life will be so full of activity. It'll be so full of stuff. It'll be so full of weirdness. I mean, you know, see, that's the thing. People are messy. But Jesus laid it all down. He gave his life for them. Would you set your things aside? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I, I don't know everything there is to know about Pullman Foursquare Church, but I know the commonality that we have more than anything else. The very cross of Jesus. The very love of God. God's salvation has been extended to us so freely. Lord, you have done more than we, we could ever ask or imagine. And so, Lord, in this, in this moment that we have, would you speak very deeply to us? If there's even a chance that there's one person here who has yet to, to come to know you, that they would simply take this moment and they would realize, I, I get it. This morning I get it, finally. You really did go to a cross. You really did die a horrible death. 
but you really did conquer death and you really live for me and you, you can forgive me and you can make me clean and brand new. And I want that. Lord, for those of us that know you and, and walk with you, change our hearts, God. Change our priorities. Help us to, to, to know that people desperately need you. And then use us. Teach us to, to, to share our lives with people. In the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. Well, let's, uh, before we go home, just, there's a, the ancient song called the doxology, and it declares that all blessings flow from God. And I think that is kind of a, a part of what Rory is saying, is recognizing those resources that God has put in you to use for the kingdom and asking, well, what are you going to do with it? And let's start by just praising God for it and recognizing it and end that place, and then we'll go in the grace of the Lord. So will you sing that with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. you go in the grace of the Lord this morning? To use the resources that God has given you to do the work that God has called you to knowing that if God has called you to it, you have everything you need. Amen. Greet one another in the name of the Lord. Greet Rory and Debbie this morning, and have a great week.